ready. Oh, look at that. I got something. Because it fell out. But yeah. I did actually win that. Oh, well, I got the joke. I don't know how we made oh, it. Oh, Russ, you've got some tweezers. Oh, just what I need. Which is very exciting. What did Adam say to his wife on the day before Christmas? Go on. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> That's legit. You laughed, That's legit. Legit. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's a bit too good for a yeah. I've never heard that before. I've wasted been on in Alina. this country yeah. for very long. Okay. What's the most popular Christmas wine? I don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with that one. It's good that you did the voice as well. That's what really made it. Um, why wouldn't Santa ride his sleigh? For elf and safety concerns. Mm -hmm. That's the weakest of the three so far by some way, isn't it? Falling back on an old cliche. Hello and welcome to a special festive edition of the Third Sector podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse and we are almost a full house in the studio. Around the table with me are fellow reporters Russ and Alina and acting editor Andy. And manning the decks is Haymarket studio manager Nav. Compliments of the season to you all. Thanks. Thanks so much, Lucinda. <laughs> And I said almost full house because Third Sector's news editor, Steve Downs, has sent his apologies and those of the train companies that failed to get him to work today. And if you've been listening to the Third Sector podcast for a while, you'll no doubt have noticed that the voices have changed over the course of the year. Andy, I believe I'm correct in saying that you are the one sole voice of continuity. Yes, indeed. When we recorded the episode at the end of 2021, there was me... Emily Burt, Rebecca Cooney and Stephen Delahunty. Now, many of you listeners will know that Emily Burt has obviously gone on to have a baby. She's on maternity leave, so I've been stepping into her shoes in the interim. And she's had baby AJ, who came into the world at the end of September. So the third sector fraternity has been growing. <laughs> but obviously, Rebecca and Stephen have both since moved on to Pastors New. We recorded that episode remotely, actually. So it's really nice to be together actually in person this time around because we were in the teeth of the Omicron variant at that point and Christmas was about to be cancelled for most of the UK. But yeah, I, I have been the, the the kind of the sole voice of continuity, but I'm very pleased that you've you guys have all joined since. Well thanks Andy. I guess you couldn't really say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be taking a look back at the big things that have happened in 2022. And Lucinda, I think you're going to continue a fine tradition now with giving us a roundup of everything that's happened in the voluntary sector over the last year. Are you ready? I think so. Yeah. Okay. On your marks, get set, go. The year began with scrutiny of the failed appointment of Martin Thomas as chair of the Charity Commission. He stepped down after only a week in post over misconduct claims. The charity's bill was passed by the House of Lords and then the House of Commons. Prince Andrew was stripped of his charity patronages. ActionAid UK said it was sorry after an internal report found denial, disbelief or indifference to racism. Akibo's chief executive, Vicky Browning, announced her resignation. The interim chief executive of Cats Protection stepped down after raising concerns about 18 cats kept by the charity's chair in her three-bedroom house. This was followed by the resignation of the chair a week later. In February, the Charity Commission's inquiry into Kids Company concluded that it operated a high-risk business model. Elon Musk donated $5.74 billion of Tesla shares to an unnamed charity. 
The Sunday Telegraph apologised after English Heritage and the National Trust complained about an article that they said attempted to sow discord. In March, Orlando Fraser was named as the next chair of the Charity Commission. His appointment was opposed by MPs but was confirmed anyway on the 1st of April. Later that month, kids' company boss Camilla batman launched a legal challenge against the Charity Commission. The Disasters Emergency Committee's Ukraine appeal raised £175 million in two weeks, making it the second biggest fundraising appeal in its history. In May, a fund set up by the late cancer campaigner Deborah James raised more than £3.6 million for Cancer Research UK in four days. The Charity Commission promised to fundamentally shift how it communicates with charities. In June, a racism inquiry concluded that there had been wholesale and organisational failures at Amnesty International. A few days later, Macmillan apologised after a report uncovered racist and ableist culture. And not long after that, MPs concluded that senior staff at aid charities were ill-equipped to deal with racism in the sector. Next up to reveal racism was welcome. Research found that one in seven voluntary sector employees are paid less than the living wage. A statutory inquiry was opened into the Captain Tom Foundation over concerns of the charity's independence from Captain Tom's family and business interests. In July, the West London borough of Hounslow was found to be home to the most generous charity donors in England and Wales. Small charities were forced to repay over a million pounds in emergency government COVID-19 funds. In September, the BBC donated 1.4 million pounds to charities linked to Princess Diana over her Panorama interview. The mini-budget sparked fury. Islamic Relief was crowned large charity of the year at the third sector awards. Lord Kamal proved to be a short-serving charities minister after spending only five weeks in post. He was replaced by Stuart Andrew in November. National Trust members saw off Restore Trust campaigners in its council elections. The chief executive of Mermaid stepped down following a compliance case and media reports about safeguarding concerns. The Metropolitan Police said it had passed evidence about cash for honours allegations involving one of King Charles's charities to the Crown Prosecution Service. In December, over 500 shelter employees went on strike. Sister Space temporarily suspended work over staff safety fears following a royal race row involving its chief executive Ngozi Fulani. Camilla batman was given permission for a judicial review into the regulator's report about kids' companies' collapse. Hey. Oh, come on. That's not a bad game at all. I think I need to have a little rest now. <laughs> it's nice to be reminded about Martin Thomas. I mean, I presume he's gone back to some slight obscurity now, but what, he didn't even get his feet under the table at the Charity Commission before he had to quit as the chosen chair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems such a long time ago now, doesn't yeah. it? But that was, I mean, that was the start of the year, wasn't it? That, that, that was all going on. I think it was actually December 2021, wasn't it, that he was told to step down, but it was the scrutiny around how he was chosen yes. that really came along in January. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that does seem a very long time ago, and even seemed a long time ago that you were going to to meet Orlando Fraser for his first interview. And very friendly he was too, uh, and uh, he wasn't keen, it must be said, to talk about the Martin Thomas affair. He was quite keen to look forward to the future, which he made that point on a uh, on a regular basis. So it was quite a long list. I've now got my breath back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, that seems like a good time to ask each of you what you would pick as your top story of the year. Um, Russ, can we start with you? Yeah, of course. Um, lots of great stories to choose from. I have not chosen one of my own, which I think shows a certain amount of maturity. I'd like some reward for that. <laughs> but as you know, stand out by an absolute mile. Um, you already mentioned Rebecca Cooney, who um, worked here for a large chunk of the year and has moved on to Pastures New. She wrote a piece for the last edition of the Third Sector Print magazine about sexual harassment in the fundraising sector. Um, Rebecca had followed that story from the very first accusations that started to surface many years ago and then followed it up with this real kind of pièce de résistance, long read, so many interviews with people and highlighting 
just an ongoing issue, which is that some people working in this sector are not safe when they're doing so and have not been protected and have been exposed to this sort of horrible practice of largely younger women being targeted by older, unpleasant men and being told more or less to deal with it because it's in order to get money into charities. Things are starting to get fixed, but as Rebecca's excellent piece makes clear, we're still not there yet. Long way to go. Mm. Alina, how about you? Well, it's now Russell's turn to receive praise because I chose mermaids because there has been a lot of coverage on a national level of, of the ongoings at the charity. And it seems like a lot of newspapers have taken what should be a story about charity governance and made it into an excuse to bring into uh, question the rights of trans people. Russell is one of the few people who has done a good job of bringing the facts to the audience and leaving personal political affiliations aside and sort of giving an example of scrupulous reporting of something that has become quite sensationalized over the past four or five months. So, yeah, that's my favourite. Mm. Those of us who work with Alina day in, day out know that that sort of praise is pretty rare. So, uh, <laughs> that's not true. Thanks, Always mate. very nice. Yeah, and that, that story has just highlighted the awfully polarised positions that many people occupy in this whole debate, doesn't it? And obviously the media yeah. has a role to play in that too, and that's been demonstrated by some of the reporting. So it's been a very difficult year for that charity definitely andy unlike the other two i did choose a story that i wrote myself <laughs> <laughs> predictable <laughs> um but it's really a tale of a difficult relationship really which is so often the case at the top of many charities so my story is cats protection um and you mentioned it in your roundup basically there was uh, an interim chief executive charles darley who was appointed uh, towards the end of 2021 and he quit after just three months in the role because of concerns about what he said were 18 cats being kept in the home of the chair at the time, Linda Upson. He said it was a cat welfare disaster. And he was highlighting the fact that he thought it was very bad practice for the chair of a charity that is concerned about cats to have so many cats in her home. I mean, it almost sounds comical. Obviously, it isn't for the charity because it has major ramifications in terms of their public standing and the perception of the charity. And it ended up with Linda Upson stepping down as chair of the charity. And it just speaks to what is often almost like a powder keg sort of relationship at the top of charities. That that chief executive chair dynamic is so crucial from the smallest charity to the largest. And it just shows that even the biggest charities are not immune to having problems at the top. Um, I mean, obviously, this was more than just a relationship. He, Charles Dardy, was making what he felt was a principled decision, but it obviously has caused a lot of fallout for the charity. Yeah, do we know what the broader implications have been for the charity? Yeah, obviously, the charity's moved on. They've appointed new people at the top with a new chief executive, for example. And, you know, they would have just wanted to put that matter to bed. But it's those kind of things are very damaging for charities. But it's not an uncommon situation to see, sadly. Yeah, I have to say the three stories that you've chosen, they're, they're, they're somewhat gloomy. You want something more upbeat? I think I'm definitely the wrong person to look at for uh, <laughs> you know, happier stories. Well, perhaps this would be a good time actually then to talk about the uh, the good news of the mm-hmm. year. Um, just, just to counter those top stories that, that three of you have 
flagged. Um, Alina, what was your top good news story of the year? I don't know if it's good news, but it's definitely fun. I chose a story that I wrote for the summer issue of the magazine involving more than 1,300 people who dressed up as Dracula and gathered at Whitby Abbey to help English Heritage break a world record for most people dressed as vampires in the same place, which I thought was hilarious and fascinating and Uh, There were a few reports where uh, in The Guardian, for example, people were interviewed and they were expressing their passion for vampires and sort of the the thought process behind choosing their costumes and putting them together. And some people had worked for months on getting all the different pieces together because they wanted things that were from 1700s and 1800s, which I thought was fascinating and it kind of... It's it's nice to see grown-up people who are very passionate about things that might otherwise be considered silly. <laughs> um, Which do you think came first then? So like the passion for the charity? Or there were people who love vampires who really didn't know what the charity was, but it was just a chance for them to go back to their dressing up box and have another go? I don't think you can love a charity that much. <laughs> Despite the cat's protection story, we see you can be way too attached to a charity's mission. But um, I think this was mostly people just really, really loving vampires. You wouldn't have thought there'd be a huge vampire English heritage crossover. That's the sort sort of thing you learn if you listen to the Third Sector podcast and read Alina's copy. I I learned about Whitby Abbey and Bram Stoker and the whole thought process behind Dracula the novel through this story. And I have two literature degrees. So (laughs) there you go. Andy, you also had a favourite good news story of the year. I did. I mean, we tend to file them in the the quirky news stories, don't we, when we talk about the, the good news bit. And this one was definitely very quirky. Some of you might remember Patrick the Pony. He's a miniature Shetland pony, if that's not a tautology. He's a small horse, anyway, who is the unofficial mayor of Cockington, which is just in Devon, just outside Torquay. And we covered this story because there'd been a big row. Patrick is a therapy pony. So he's, uh, he's people working. go and visit him. He's exactly, he's doing good. And um, he loves nothing more, apparently, than having a pint at his local pub. Uh, but thanks to a planning row, he was basically banned from the pub because they said that the pub didn't have the right permissions for the horse to be in the field and a big row. We we talked about it on in the summer. Yeah, it was we great did. fun. It was yeah, great fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now there is actually a nice kind of good news end to that story in that Patrick has released a Christmas single. Oh. I didn't listen to that. Well. Should we play a snippet? <laughs> it's, it's funny you should say that. It's called Nay Hooray. And I think you're going to, you have a, a, a little clip for us ready, don't you, Lucinda, that we can listen to now? I do. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's actually Patrick singing. (laughs) I'm going to say probably not. I'm also not sure that this is going to reach number one or even the top ten. How many views are there on that YouTube channel? Mm, 85. Yeah, that's probably not quite enough. I mean, the bar is lower these days, isn't it, for getting number one? I think the bookmakers have him as a 50 to one outsider for being (laughs) announced as the Christmas 
number one. I think Lad Baby is in the driving seat again. Uh, what would that raise money for if it uh, if it does go to Well, that I don't know the answer to. So well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to ask it. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> but he's a therapy pony. So, <laughs> so stop being horrible. Come to on, Patrick. everybody. Okay. <laughs> right. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> now, shall we go on to looking Please. at some trends of the year? So trends that you have seen through all your reporting and editing over the past 12 months. Andy, what have you got? Yeah, I mean, um, this is a difficult one, really, but it really came across when you talked about it in the review of the year that you did when you did the roundup of all the news stories. I mean, basically, it's about charities confronting racism. And you mentioned several of the examples there. There was UNICEF, Macmillan, ActionAid, UK, have all come out and commissioned reports into their internal cultures and have identified shortcomings and failings in that area, which, you know, from an average person on the street, you'll probably look at charities and think, well, shouldn't they be the kind of bastions of good practice? Obviously, that isn't the case. But I do think that it's been a positive development. These major charities have identified these issues and have been transparent about them, which I think is good. You know, it is a really example of charities kind of leading the way, obviously not in what they were doing historically, but now in terms of confronting those issues saying look we've got this terribly wrong and here's what we're going to do to get it right which I think is very positive it's a very difficult story but it's positive that we've got charities that are trying to lead the way in this area I think it has a relationship with the Rebecca's fundraising story in a way which is to remember that there are staff who go into this sector day in day out and have a horrible time and are you know face abuse and face mistreatment and one of the sort of excuses for a long time within the sector has been exactly that, Andy, that charities charities are there to do good. So how could it possibly have gone this badly wrong? Evidence this year and previously shows that it, it has gone wrong in some places. And yeah, I, I share some of your optimism about it being fixed. Maybe not all of it, but some of it. Fingers crossed. Mm. Russ, what trend have you seen throughout the year? So I think 2022 reminded us, as previous years have, that governance is everything at charities. And if your governance isn't good enough, that is to say, if your trustee board and relationship between your trustees and your executive team, if that isn't strong, if that's gone wrong or if things are kind of going missing there, it will catch up with you. You're going to get into trouble. And looking at a few key stories that we did, uh, we've mentioned Kids Company in February. It was already seven years after that charity collapsed by the time that the Charity Commission released its report this year. But that report found that trustees and executives had not worked closely enough on how to make sure that charity was sustainable get its finances in order they had a very long time they had a lot of money to do it with they never got around to it and what happened there was a series of media scandals and the charity ended up collapsing overnight um mermaids we've mentioned statutory inquiry ongoing from the commission because its trustee recruitment had obviously gone very badly wrong um and the kind of basics of what sort of people are suitable for a children's charity and to have some role there that had been neglected and that's something now with possibly very serious implications that the uh, charity commission is looking at um and i've been told apparently i can't do a whole podcast just dedicated to talking about parkrun uh, much as i may <laughs> like to so i'll just say very quickly i first started writing about questions about governance of parkrun which i thought were pretty obvious from their accounts and from some of their public statements back in 2020 and was told by the charity very broadly look you know we think you'll that's what charities say, right? We think you're barking up the wrong tree. We don't think that there are any issues here. And um, we'll answer your questions. But, you know, we think you're actually kind of uh, not quite pursuing the right story. 
roll through to this year, 2022, has seen an internal report that was very critical of the way that the charity's executive work. We've seen uh, one trustee move from the board onto the executive, partly to try and sort out the kind of ethos of the charity. Um, and we've seen a former chief executive rather publicly shown to have been behaving in a way that was not financially appropriate when he was at the charity. Those things don't happen if the governance is sorted out right. Um, so I don't mind saying, look, that's a little bit of vindication from my reporting. I'm happy to pat myself on the back. But more importantly, it fits that pattern this year. Lots of charities have had governance problems. They've, they've come to roost. And um, I'd say as well, we write quite critically about the Charity Commission sometimes. But I think on a regulatory level, they've actually done a pretty good job this year of trying to get in among some of those problems and fix them for the good of the sector. So well done to the Commission. Alina. Yes, I chose uh, an increase in use of social media and user-generated content for fundraising. And this is something that started during the pandemic for obvious reasons. People couldn't fundraise in traditional ways anymore. Um, but it has stayed and it seems to be growing and it seems like charities have accepted the fact that social media isn't going anywhere and that it's is such a powerful tool in reaching new audience, but also in sort of giving people who might want to support but can't in uh, monetary donations or by donating their time um, to still spread the word and support in other ways. Uh, and I think that's a, a great thing to be able to do, especially at a time when, you know, everybody's looking to cut down on expenses. And it's it's interesting that uh, more and more communities are being involved. We've we've had a few podcast episodes that spoke to this: uh, the use of TikTok, the use of Twitch, and live streaming, and how powerful they can be for fundraising. And I think that's a uh, slightly more positive than the ones Russell and Andy spoke about. So <laughs> there are good trends as well. <laughs> There are. And you've definitely seen, you know, in recent years, a, a huge rise in sort of crowdfunding websites where people have been doing good by just giving online to people, which is becoming a more and more commonplace thing. So, yeah, there's definitely some really good developments there. Yeah. Something that I've learned as a pretty much newbie to this charity sector beat in the past few months is the importance of Gen Z in charities charitable giving, fundraising, philanthropy, all the rest of it. I think you wrote a piece, Selena, back in October following the publication of a report saying that young people aged between 18 and 24 are more likely to donate to charity than any other age group. And yeah. that's pretty striking considering the, the fact that that age group is likely to be the least well off. And presumably that emphasis that's being placed by charities um, on developing their social media, developing their TikTok for fundraising, awareness raising and everything else is linked yeah. to that rise of Gen Z and their importance in the sector. No, definitely. I mean, it's quite encouraging, really, isn't it, to think that these are going to be the leaders tomorrow and also hopefully the, the big donors of tomorrow. For sure, yeah. But are we going to be calling them Gen Z or Gen Z? This is what I'm asking. That's the big question for today. <laughs> the editor and Andy. And, uh, <laughs> we, need, we need a style Needs guide entry on this. <laughs> Does anyone call them Gen Z? Surely it's Gen Z, right? That's universal. It's been used interchangeably by our guests on the podcast. Has it? Yeah. Well, you should have cracked down on that. Andy. I should have. Yeah, it's not in the star guide. Please sort it out. I mean, of course, you mentioned this one. The, obviously, the major overarching thing that none of us have mentioned is the cost of living crisis, which is obviously massive mm. for the voluntary sector, not just the voluntary sector, but obviously it has huge implications for the voluntary sector. It almost goes without saying that that's been a huge theme of this year with all the political turmoil that's been going on and the huge issues that voluntary sector 
organizations are facing um we wouldn't want our listeners to think that we've forgotten that one that's obviously been a big huge issue this year um, I met with a couple of charity PRs just for a sort of off the record chat yesterday to see how everything was going. Ooh, what and did they say? Well, <laughs> they, well can they, you tell us who they were? <laughs> no, I will be very discreet, except to confirm that they all said, as a good PR always will, you know, what sort of stories you after, what will make the kind of the news bulletins. And my first answer was always, if you've got something compelling on the cost of living crisis to explain how your charity or charities that work in your sector are being hit by this, because everybody is, and the impact's going to be slightly different across different beneficiary groups and so on. But mm. ultimately, this is going to be the only game in town. Mm. Um, so the PRs wrote this down very carefully in their notebooks and scuttled away. So um, I look forward to all those pictures in 2023. Alina, did you learn anything in 2022? Yes, actually, I've been working with Third Sector since January. Um, and in that time, I have learned, well, everything there is to learn about charities from my wonderful colleagues, but also learned about my own misconceptions about the charity world. And I think that there is a general misunderstanding from the public and the vast majority of politicians as to how charities actually work and what they need at a time like this, but just generally to function and continue to carry out their missions. And uh, I kind of, I learned this through my own experience of every day being surprised by how hard people in the sector work and how much there is to be done still. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to recognise the hard work of the leaders and also not the leaders in the sector mm. in what's been an incredibly difficult year. How about you, Russ? What's your key learning been for 2022? Something very similar to what Alina has already mentioned. Um, I talked to a lot of charity chief execs. They are all knackered. Um, some of them are more upfront about it than others. But, you know, it has been a heck of a job in the in the last, well, several years. Um, Chief execs trying to steer organisations through. There were a period of redundancies we saw during COVID. Which, I mean, it's a terrible news for the people who lose their jobs, but it's a, an ordeal for those who are trying to do that in a way that is sort of uh, in any way kind of decent and effective. And I think charity leaders are still carrying that on their shoulders a wee bit. I do hope 2023 the sector is going to catch a break for a lot of reasons. But one of them is, I hope, when I say <laughs> to charity CEOs in six months' time, you know, what's your overriding feeling at the moment? They don't all say, well, I'm really, really tired, but I have to work this weekend and then work 14 hours on Monday just to kind of stay still. Mm. Well, I don't think it would be a review of 2022 for the Third Sex podcast without talking about the podcast episode of the year. Yes. Russ... What was your favourite episode of the year? I think there have been so many to choose from, but I'm going to go back to Emily Burt and I doing what I think of as a sort of a megapod about the Captain Tom Foundation. Mm. Um, Alina was talking earlier about the amount of stuff around mermaids where the actual kind of facts and nuts and bolts of what was going on have been overtaken by this kind of wider culture war noise. And what Emily and I were trying to do over a period of 45 minutes of a lot of detail was really drill into exactly what that charity stood accused of, what the inquiry was going to look at, what it definitely wasn't accused of, and in fact had been sort of found not guilty of already by the Charity Commission, and just to try and sort of slowly unravel that for our listeners. I hope we succeeded, but I will say uh, it was great fun. The other thing was it was in the middle of the summer and uh, we were working remotely. So the main thing I remember, my laptop was getting hotter and hotter and hotter on a day that was already sort of 35 degrees outside. <laughs> and I sort of had burnt legs by the end of it. Um, so it was memorable for lots of reasons. But yeah, that was great fun. And okay. I, I hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as Emily and I had fun making it. 
Alina, what was your podcast episode of the year? I'm going to choose Fundraising for Difficult Causes. Mm, so that was in October, wasn't it? It was. And that's for a variety of reasons. I I really enjoy talking to our guests for that podcast. They'd already helped me with an article for the last issue of the magazine. And I think it's so important to try and shine as much of a light on these charities doing very important work that have a hard time discussing publicly their work just because of the sensitive nature of the people that they work with. And it was also the first time that Russell and I hosted together by ourselves. Green team. I think you could tell that there was nobody supervising in the room (laughs) from how the episode turned out, but we had so much fun. We did. I think I was supposed to be supervising, wasn't I? Oh, well, it it didn't come across. You didn't didn't feel like there was a a really firm line being taken? No. Sorry. So Anarchy in the podcast studio was the highlight of the Third Sector podcast for you. It was good. (laughs) Great. Andy, what was your episode of the year? Yeah, I'm going to go a bit more recent. I think it was an episode from last month, which, well, it may surprise you to learn that I'm not a big user of TikTok. Mm, Really? And yeah, I know. (laughs) Shocking, uh, you might think. But actually, the episode that uh, Lucinda and and Alina did on uh, the importance of TikTok for charities and how that's kind of a growing trend and how they're using it, I thought was great. It was a real eye opener for me because I frankly know virtually nothing about how TikTok works. And it was just really interesting. You had Rebs Curtis Moss, who was a brilliant guest and gave loads of really insightful hacks and tips on how charities can use TikTok for their advantage. So if you haven't heard that episode, then do go back and listen to it. And of course, it did lead to the third sector launching our very own TikTok masterminded by Alina and uh, Lucinda. So do yes, check that follow out. Us. <laughs> that was so subtle <laughs> I'm going the subliminal route okay. <laughs> great well I think that's a very good note to end on as we finish this final episode of the year it's time for you to sit back and relax after another fairly relentless 12 months well not quite everyone is going to be sitting back and relaxing though. let's not forget those charity workers who will be on duty over the festive period delivering services to make life better for everyone who needs them even when the rest of us got off eat up quite right thank you and we thank and appreciate those of you who will be working and hope you'll be able to take a break another time to make up for it whatever you're doing and wherever you'll be on behalf of all the third sector team we just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's joined us through the third sector podcast on the last year and we wish you a very happy holiday season we'll be back with a new episode in the first week of january with deborah alcock tyler chief executive of the director of social change lifting the lid on 2023 and what it might have in store for the voluntary sector join us then